Oh, the rugged cross, my salvation. And my soul does cry out, hallelujah, because of this great good news of Jesus. And we need good news this week, as always. And we thank you that good news is only found in the Lord Jesus. Lord, this morning, please come and speak to us. We thank you for these Beatitudes, this teaching of Jesus, that are the very words of God, as the God-man on earth speaks to his people. Father, humble us before you, open our hearts and our ears to hear. And please be glorified in all that we do and say this day. Amen. Thousands of applications are sent in from all over the country every year, all hoping to be chosen. Hundreds of initial interviews are taking place, but only 75 are asked to come back for a second. Many disappointed, but few remain to fight on to prove their worth. Of those 75 candidates, just 30 are invited for psychological testing to see whether they have what it takes to win. Of those 30, just 16 or 18 remain. And then this is when we get to meet the lucky contestants as we join them on BBC reality TV show, The Apprentice. 18 people begging for the chance to win £100,000 a year job with Alan Sugar in one of his companies. Or as it is now, £250,000 for your own company as he invests in you. Now this is it. This is their chance to win, to begin their own company, to be successful, to earn money, to have life and to have life to the full. It's their opportunity to do what? To inherit the earth. Because this is what it means to inherit the earth, is it not? To be successful, to have all your wants and your desires met, to be happy, to be content. And people watch The Apprentice because they like to see the lovely hotels, the posh cars, the luxury food, the wonderful perks and pleasures that those contestants get to enjoy week by week. We sit at home on our IKEA couch and we covet and we say, oh, if only. Well, even if that's not you, we all secretly in some way or another have an ambition to inherit the earth. Now, one of the most famous things about The Apprentice is that each week the People complete the task, and then they face Alan Sugar in the boardroom. And at the end of the conversation that happens there, one person is fired. But of course, it's in the boardroom that the gloves come off, and the nasty work really begins. If you haven't seen The Apprentice, then basically at this time, the contestants, in fighting for their survival to remain on the show, they badmouth one another, they accuse one another, they defend their own right to stay, and it's all done with real nasty venom sometimes. Because, of course, to win, it means you have to trample others down under your feet. Otherwise, they will stand on your head and crush you. 
To win The Apprentice, you don't only need an eye for business, knowledge of sales, a charismatic personality. You need thick skin and a sharp tongue. Meekness, it appears, is as far from that boardroom as it possibly could be. To the world, meekness is weakness. It's about submission, avoiding conflict, not being able to make decisions. It's about fearing what other people may think. Is that what meekness is? If it is, then, and it's as it's portrayed, not just in The Apprentice by our world generally, if you want to be successful, if you want to be happy, if you want to get what you want, then you're going to have to step on people's toes. So as you read this beatitude in Matthew 5, what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth? Did he get it wrong? Did he mean something else? Because by our experience of life, it seems that this beatitude just is not true. It's the clever, the rich, the powerful, they inherit the earth. The meek, the, the humble, the gentle, the patient, well, they just get brushed aside and they have nothing. As you can imagine, this beatitude has had a lot of flack from the world in recent times. Look at this advert by Nike. The meek may inherit the earth, but they won't get the ball. Or this mockery. The meek will inherit the earth only if that's okay with everybody else. Or maybe something more shocking. The meek do inherit the earth, but they tend to inherit very small plots, about six feet by three. Meekness, is that what it's all about? People think through this understanding that meekness is being a pushover. And so they mock the teaching of Jesus. Well, what does he mean by meekness and what does he mean by inheriting the earth? If this beatitude is really a blessing, something to be congratulated for, it's the best place to be, the right attitude to have before God, then what does Jesus mean? To inherit the earth. As you've seen in the last few weeks, Jesus is preaching to a crowd on this hillside, and they are eager to hear what he has to say. They've heard him declaring the good news, declaring the kingdom has come near. They've seen him heal the sick, and they want to know more about this kingdom. They want it. They've been waiting for it such a long time. As we heard last week, the zealots have been trying to get it by force, the religious leaders by moral efforts. But how is Jesus suggesting we get the kingdom? This kingdom that's been waited for and longed for, there's been promised, a kingdom that God said, I will give you a kingdom, and particularly a land, a promise of peace and rest, rule, free from your enemies. But it seems for those Jews on that hillside, this promise is, is far from reality. So perhaps to hear about inheriting the earth is good news for a Jew in captivity. But did Jesus mean that the Romans would be driven out? Did he mean that they would once again have the land, the land to themselves? Or was this promise of land something far greater? 
the Jews listening to Jesus, like people in our society today, wanted to inherit this earth. This earth, still in its fallen condition, still full of sin and death. This earth, because this earth gives us money and possessions, and we can be successful and we can be happy because this is the life that we have, and that's what makes us happy. But a world that's full of competing and even opposing ideas, opinions, gods, we all have our own desire of what this world should be like. And we live in a dog-eat-dog world, and so not everybody is going to get exactly what they want, and so some are going to miss out. And the cruelness of living in such a kind of world has been really evident in this last week. And we all, in some way or another, have suffered the pains of failure, the hurt of loss and disappointment. And it's very easy for us to get distracted in trying to inherit this earth by the trappings of what it offers. And so very easy for us to be depressed when things don't work out how we hope them to be. Or how they work out better for other people than they do for us. For those people listening to Jesus on that hillside that day, they once had the land for themselves. They lost it, but they got it back again, but only under any enemy occupation. But the land was not the ultimate reality. True inheritance for God's people was still to come. It's interesting that as you read through the New Testament, you see that the land of Israel was the place where God's people lived under his blessing and his rule, but it was just a picture of something far greater that was to come. Not just a piece of land next to the Mediterranean Sea, but the whole earth. A new earth that would be created. So when to inherit the earth literally means to inherit the earth. A new Perfect, spotless, sinless earth where there will be no more death and no more suffering, no more fighting, no more wars, no more terrorism. This is what is to come for the people of God. But how does it work? How do we get it? I can imagine that for some of the people listening to Jesus teaching this beatitude, their minds would have been cast back to Psalm 37. Why don't you turn to that in your Bibles? If you have a church Bible, it's on 563. And it's a Psalm of David. The people are in the land, but they're struggling because the wicked seem to prosper through their evil deeds. David begins, verse 1, Do not fret because of those who are evil or envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they soon will wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Verse 7, Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. David is saying that the wicked may prosper in this life, they may go on through their selfish ambition, 
to inherit the earth, but yet their life will come to an end. Then what will they have? David says, but for you, verse 3, trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord, verse 4. Commit your ways to him, verse 5. Be still before the Lord and wait for him, verse 7. Hope in the Lord, verse 9. And verse 11, the meek will inherit the land. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. The psalmist goes on through the rest of the psalm to speak about the difference between those who live for this earth and those who trust in the Lord and wait for his blessing. That ultimately, through Jesus Christ, the fulfillment comes on the new earth. True inheritance is that new earth. This world is dying. It's falling apart. The wicked prosper. Material things rust, run out, get lost. So-called Western progress has done nothing to solve the problem, the curse of sin and death. It remains. Even if you inherit the whole earth, it will not be enough. To quote a James Bond film. The new earth is our inheritance. Yet, to inherit this earth, David and Jesus say it requires meekness. Meekness is all to do with how we respond and treat other people. But it might surprise you that meekness actually does start with weakness. But not weakness towards other people, but weakness in how we stand before a holy God. You see, we are unable to inherit the new earth as it will be in our own human sinful state. We can't. Meekness, like all the Beatitudes, flow from one to the other. And meek, to be meek, you first need to be poor in spirit and mournful. Poor in spirit, as Dan taught us, is that recognition of our spiritual bankruptcy, our utter uselessness and not inability to do anything to please God or to make our standing before him right. As a result of seeing our sin, we rightly mourn. We see the guilt and the shame of our sinfulness. The sorrow of living in a fallen world with suffering and death, which are the ultimate results of sin. But when we are poor in spirit and when we mourn, this leads us to meekness. Meekness is that dependence, a humble dependence upon God for everything. We come to him with open and empty arms, nothing to offer him, but we come completely trusting in our Savior. Because, friends, to receive the promises of God, we must come to Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is in the Lord Jesus. Through his death, through his resurrection, he has won for us that inheritance. An inheritance that is stored up in heaven, ready for us to receive. 
And Jesus has been given all the authority in heaven and earth. And he's bringing all things under his feet, under his control, ready for that final day. But only those who trust in him, as David says. Only those who delight in him, who commit their ways to him, who wait for him, our Lord Jesus, will inherit the land. Jesus has won the inheritance for us at the cross. He also displayed perfect meekness in his life. Jesus was not afraid to speak out. He was not afraid to create enemies for the sake of truth. He wasn't a pushover. But even when he turned over the the tables in the temple, he did not sin. And remember Jesus at the trial. He stands before his accusers, and the high priest says, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that people are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Jesus, like a lamb before the slaughter, he gave himself up to reconcile us to God so that in him, through faith, we may possess the promises of God. And so, what about you? Are you someone trying to inherit the earth without God? Is it working? Now, you may find satisfaction for a while, but it won't last. It certainly won't last into eternity. This world is coming to an end, and all that we have gained will be lost. Did you know that the first six winners of The Apprentice didn't last longer than three years in Alan Sugar's company? Some left for personal problems, problems with the company. Some just because the job wasn't what it promised to be. It was a glorified PA, according to one person. Friends, real inheritance is found in Jesus. And it will be fully accomplished on the new earth. But it requires meekness towards God. A humble recognition of our need for him. And our dependence upon Jesus Christ for salvation. And so if you haven't come to him this morning, then come. Come today to receive his promise. But for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ through poorness of spirit, through mournful repentance, do we remain meek? Do we remain meek towards God and towards others? Martin Lloyd-Jones says that meekness is a, a humble and gentle attitude to others which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. You see, when I acknowledge my complete need for Jesus in everything, then there's no room whatsoever for pride, for self-pity, for self-promotion. There's no room for me to claim my rights, for I am unworthy of anything. I remember when I was younger, I had a terrible reputation of being a goody-two-shoes. 
And of course, when no one was looking, that wasn't true. But I felt that this was the opinion people had of me, and therefore I must maintain this status. So whenever I did something wrong, and it was my fault, I'd be quick to pass the blame. I would defend myself. I might even deny that it ever happened. I was so conscious of being squeaky clean that if I was ever caught, I would feel majorly guilty and embarrassed, and I would do all that I could to make up for the mistakes. Yes, I was a Christian, but I wasn't meek. I was proud. And the Apostle Paul, if anyone, as we know from Philippians, if anyone can boast in that success, it is him. But do we like him? Find that all that we gain, our self-righteousness, our spiritual gifts, our achievements, our performance, it's just rubbish. We know, don't we, that we're saved by grace. But so often we live by our works. And just in case no one recognizes it, we try and prove it to them. I was just chatting to Dan before the service, and we were saying how amazing it is. In just one verse, you can get so much out of it. And through studying just this one verse, it's been so revealing, so helpful in showing me my sin, my lack of meekness. But it's also shown me how tiring life is if we try and inherit the earth in our own strength and in our own terms. When the earth we're trying to inherit, is this temporary, soon to fade away, death-ridden world? where we try and get material comforts that will be lost, relationships for our own selfishness, and trying to maintain a reputation with blood, sweat, and tears. Meekness towards God, that is where true freedom is found. But yet, of course, it is very difficult for us to do. John Stott, in his commentary, helpfully, honestly, says this. I, myself, am quite happy to recite the general confession in church and call myself a miserable sinner. But let anybody else come to me after church and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch them in the nose. He does admit that there is something hypocritical about this. We don't like it when our sin is exposed especially for others to see. We don't like it when we're wronged by other people. We don't like it when our circumstances are just not what we want them to be. And so therefore to respond to others with a gentleness, with a control, not in arrogance, not in self-justification, then that is meekness. And so what about it? What about it when you are wronged by other people. The Apostle Paul was someone who had a lot of opposition in his life, both from the world and from the church. He was blamed for preaching an incomplete gospel. He was abandoned by his friends, found himself mixed up in church division, dealing with congregational sin. And yet Paul, he didn't retaliate. He didn't complain. He didn't try to defend himself arrogantly. 
Now he's someone who rejoiced in the Lord through his sufferings, who spoke graciously to others, who forgave, who showed compassion, who thought it a privilege to suffer. Why? Well, because he knew who he was before God. He says, I am least of all the apostles. Then he says, I am least of all the saints. Then he says, I am the chief of sinners. He knew that he was nothing, and therefore he was no better than anybody else. So how do you respond when you are wronged? A driver doesn't let you pass or cuts you up on the motorway. Your child shouts at you, especially in public. Someone you know lies to you. Someone performs better than you or receives praise ahead of you. Or when you're called names by non-Christians because of your beliefs. Or you're mocked for your faith. Often we want to fight back. We want to retaliate. We want to defend ourselves. Sometimes there may be a place for that in a right attitude of meekness. But when we know who we are before God, making sure that we don't lose face, making sure that our pride is not knocked or our defense is heard, these things become unimportant. Recently, someone else was praised for something that I'm pretty sure was my doing. Test of meekness. How would I respond? It shouldn't matter. It's not about me. And in a world of, that's obsessed with self, with my rights, meekness is hugely countercultural, hugely difficult, but a huge blessing with eternal consequences. Meekness towards others, meekness towards life circumstances when you become a christian life doesn't suddenly become perfect and prettier the gospel doesn't promise that this side of heaven and for many here this morning the christian life may seem to offer very little in terms of inheritance maybe you sometimes wonder whether it's worth it at all it's difficult to see other people succeed when you've worked just as hard. The temptation to be resentful or to be bitter when you compare yourselves with others, those that have better jobs, those that have jobs. When you're single, when you have no children, when you or those you love suffer with prolonged illness. What does it mean to be meek? in such circumstances. What does it mean to be meek, particularly in light of the inheritance that we have in Christ? Well, meekness begins with remembering who we are in the Lord Jesus. We came to him with nothing to offer, but in him, we have been offered the world, a world that is yet to come. And even though our inheritance is yet to come, in light of that, there is contentment. There can be contentment 
in this life, despite our circumstances. Because through our relationship with the Lord Jesus, it is that relationship that is the most important. It means that we can rejoice with those who rejoice. It means that we can humbly accept God's will, God's timing. Even though in the moment it's really hard, we can trust his sovereignty and his goodness. I was speaking to an elderly couple a few weeks ago. People who are growing old and frail in their bodies. People who soon will kind of have to leave their home to go somewhere new. But at the same time, they were able to reflect on the many decades of God's faithfulness in their lives and in their marriage. Life was hard, but they were humbly thankful. Meekness displayed towards their circumstances that comes from a right view of oneself before God. We recently finished a series in Numbers and we looked at Moses. And Moses in Numbers chapter 12 is described as the meekest man on the face of the earth. Moses, a man who gave up inheriting the earth's riches in Egypt to inherit God's promises. A man who led the Hebrew nation to the edge of Canaan, who was Israel's greatest prophet, yet he did not lord it over them. He had to deal with the sin and the complaining of his people, though despite it all, he was meek. Power under control. Meekness is radically countercultural, and it cannot be done in our human strength if you are worried about that. This is a gift of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And God helps us by his Holy Spirit to produce such a wonderful fruit, a fruit that being so countercultural will shine brightly in the darkness of this world. And it will attract people to the kingdom of heaven. We are meek towards God because we have nothing to offer and we deserve nothing from him. We are meek towards others because we are no better than them. And we are meek towards life circumstances because this world is not our home. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Amen. Let's spend a moment and quiet. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
And we thank you, Father, this morning that although we live in this world that is falling apart, a world that will one day come to an end, a world that we can so easily be distracted in living for, in a world that we so often fail and are hurt by, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus there is hope, there is future, there is comfort, there is peace, there is an inheritance of all the riches of the kingdom of God, ready, waiting, for who? For those who are meek. For those who come before you with open and empty arms, humbly in repentance, depending upon the grace of Jesus through the cross. Thank you that in him there is true inheritance. And so help us, help us as we still live in this earth and wait for that final day to display and show meekness continually before you, before one another, and a meek response to our life and the circumstances that we face. Please give us your Holy Spirit to help us, your power. Thank you for this great blessing that you have given to us. Amen.